0: God, you are absolutely amazing. Thank you, Lord, for this sweet time of worship this morning to give you the praise that you're due. Lord, we come before you. All that we have, all that we are, belongs to you. We submit ourselves to you, Lord, and we pray that in all things may your name be magnified. We want you to get the maximum glory, Lord. I am continually astonished and amazed by your mercies that are new every day. Thank you for being such a loving God, such an amazing God, Lord. And I pray that each one here that listens, Father, just falls deeper in love with you, trusts you even more, abides in you, in the vine, that your life may shine through. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Um, God is good. So, now this is a message that I was planning to share at the beginning of the month, and then it got postponed, and then it got changed. I think this is my fourth revision of this message. Um, And in this morning, the Lord Laid something different on me that I added onto it at the end. So, um, God keeps us on our toes. Uh, he is not a God who keeps us comfortable. Uh, so, um, without further ado, just one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is liberty, and there are two signature verses with this message. The first is Galatians five one. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage the second also in galatians 5:13 for you brethren have been called to liberty only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another so What did Jesus Christ free free us from? I mean, we live here in the United States, right? Aren't we born free? Don't we live at a time with the most personal freedom? Can we not go to most places and do more than others have been able in all time? I mean, we can fly, indulge in every experience, travel around the world. I just shared with my daughter yesterday. She just got back from being in Italy, and I had the privilege of taking them kind of on a Tour of Europe where my wife had gone before. You know, we went the year after she died, and kind of wanted to trace some of the pa- some of the the steps that she had taken. And uh, she loved my daughter loved it so much. She went back. This is her delayed honeymoon from a year ago, and I got to see all these pictures. And I realized, hmm, I wanted to travel again. I like those experiences. So we live at a time that we can do a lot, and we live in a nation that prides itself on. Liberty. You know, we celebrated earlier this month the independence, right? The, um, the freedom that we had from Great Britain. So what is freedom? What is this liberty? It's the power or right to act, to speak, or think according to one's will and desire without being limited or restricted by any external power such as despotic government. And that's what the U.S. did when they made the Declaration of Independence. So, what kind of liberties do we have in this nation? We have the freedom of the press, right? Expressions of political opinions in the mass media, though right now I'm not sure those freedoms are quite as much as they used to be. We have the freedom of association where we can get together uh, in um, different groups for different meetings, um, labor unions, We have the freedom of expression, where we can communicate in different media and different form the way that we want to and how we want to describe in terms of art. We have the freedom of thought. What does that mean? That means we can express our opinions publicly without any kind of political coercion or interference on the part of government. Again, maybe not quite as free as it used to be. You know, the free exercise of the press, the freedom of expression, the freedom of thought are things that we take for granted based on our, what we believe is our rights. And the last one that we most treasure, particularly here in the body of Christ, is the freedom of worship, where we can get together collectively to worship and to praise God or those of a different faith in any way that they want to. So we, can, we have the ability to teach, to practice, to observe, and indulge in worship. Nobody has to tell us what kind of God to believe in, Those are things we take for granted, and it seems like there's a lot there. But we know that despite all these freedoms, all the things that we have, we often don't really feel free. We often actually feel kind of trapped, overwhelmed, depressed. We live in a land of plenty, and yet we feel that we're stuck. We're kind of in bondage. So if there's bondage, what are we bounded to and what do we need freedom from? The Word of God says, number one, first we're in the bondage of the fear of death. Psalm 55, 4 and 5. My heart is severely pained within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. In Psalm 18, 4 and 5, The pangs of death surround me, and the floods of ungodliness make me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. So we're actually slaves to our fear and our actions that lead to death. And in Romans 6, 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you're the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? The work that I do as a physician, I have people who ask me all the time, you know, Are you going, am I going to die? Um, it's always a funny question. They, they're asking because of their need at that moment. They're afraid at that time, that that illness, that they may die from it? Um, It can be a heavy question. I do reassure them. But sometimes I break out and joke and say, well, yes, we all die. Nobody makes it out of this life alive. We will all eventually die. But I don't think what you have today is going to do it. And I wanted them to not be um, stuck in that, but focus on other things. And so that's what God wants, us to focus on other things. The second thing we are bondage to is bondage to self. Romans 7, 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And in Titus 3, 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving I love some of the other translations. Slave to various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Such we were before Christ, hateful and hating one another, hating what others have, envious of what they've got, not being satisfied with their life. You know, our own body works against us. You know, we're pulled by our thoughts and our wants. We're continually trying to strive for things and experiences. I just shared earlier with my daughter, and I knew it stirred up with me, this wanderlust, the desire to travel to other countries and experience different things and see different architecture and museums and meet different people, eat different kinds of foods. It's so automatic we don't even recognize it. It happens out of our own self. We can easily see it in others. so easy to see, oh, yeah, that's fleshly. But for me, well, it's not so much. You know, I I struggle sometimes with material things. We all do. I have the ability to buy more things. I like nice cars. Whenever I see a nice car magazine, I look at it, and I notice that I probably shouldn't be looking at this too much. It just stirs up those things that I want that I don't need to have. You know, I like electronics, too, and some of the latest stuff out there, and I noticed that, too, and I have an older iPhone 11, not as old as some, but, you know, I was encouraged when the battery's starting to die and having some problems that maybe, you know, I'm a physician, I should consider getting, you know, a more upgraded phone. But like all those things, everything gets passes, something newer comes along, the stuff that we have, loses its nice car smell, and gets a little scratch and a dent, and it will all fade away that's what self does it, it, it gives us momentary gratification but it does not last moving to the third thing we are in bondage to the devil 2 Timothy 2 26 and that they may come to their senses and escape the snares of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will who's been captive by the devil all of us every one of us were once all those who are apart from christ are in bondage to him in first Timothy 3 7 in reference to elders and deacons it talks to them that they must have good testimony among those who are outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil So there's a chance that somebody who's a believer can fall into snare of the devil, that we can get back into bondage, and we have to be on guard on that. Adam and Eve were supposed to supervise and steward this world. Their choice of sin forfeited their status and allowed the devil to take dominion of this world. Because of this, the world is not the same. It's no longer good as the way that God decreed it to be. It's under the rule of the prince of this air. And this devil is actively working against the plans of God and continually wants to undermine anything and everything that is good. He is prowling around looking for victims to devour, those of the faith and those outside. He's the prince of this world and dictates what is happening in the secular sphere. We forget that. We see that in the world. It's pretty apparent. But when we're caught up in our focus on ourself, which is what this world is even getting increasingly focused on, and we've given up the fear of God, this has just become fodder for the devil and for his kingdom. And we can get easily seduced by that. It's made his job a lot easier because as our As a whole, our society no longer resisting evil, but rather embracing it. We no longer cherish what is right, but the opposite. What is wrong and wicked in the sight of God is esteemed as good and right. And speaking God's truth is declared as intolerant and wrong. And most of all, In terms of bondage, we are in bondage to sin. Romans 7.14 For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And John 8.34 Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Whoever commits sin, not some, all who commits sin is a slave. So what does sin mean? You know, we, we say sin means missing the mark, and we kind of sometimes can minimize it. It means, oh, I'm close to God, but just just off a little bit. That's really not what it's about at all. It really means that our nature, both inherited from Adam and because of our own choices, has placed us completely separate from God. We're completely separate. Whenever we sin, we're completely separate from God. Now, there's a revenue, and I'll come back and come talk to that. But whenever we sin, we're separated from God. Every sin separates us from God at all times, in every way. And it puts us in bondage, because once we're separate from God, we're under the domain of the prince of this world. There is no middle ground. There's no neutral ground. It's something we really have to get. There is no neutral ground. Jesus was very clear. You're either for me or against me. There is no neutral ground. So Paul talks about sin. And if you have a chance to look through Romans chapter 7, you get to see that sin is something that is both separate but yet a part of us. And I like the analogy of an alloy. Bronze is an alloy of copper and tin. 88% copper, 12% tin. But once you make it into bronze, it's very difficult to separate. Okay, even though they have different melting temperatures between the two metals, just heating them up doesn't separate it. The only way that you can remove the copper from the tin is for the copper to be bound to something else. So like us, the only way that we can be removed from sin is we have to be bound to something else. We have to be bound to something else. So how does that happen? So let's look at what Jesus did. He opens his ministry by reading from the book of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, verses 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's talking about us. And in Romans 6, 6, 7, our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with and that we should no longer, no longer be slaves of sin but he who has died has been freed from sin. So we have to die and then be reborn to be free from sin. We can't be our old selves. We cannot be our old selves in Christ. We are a new man, a new creation, it says in Galatians five, seventeen. We are new. Let's look at John eight, thirty-four to thirty-six. Jesus Answer them most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So, when we bind to Christ, we're free. We are free to walk away from sin. Sin may be there. But it no longer has dominion over us. We're not slaves, but now heirs, sons and daughters of God. In Galatians 4.1, that's best summarized. As now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But it is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that's us, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying out Abba Father therefore you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir of God through Christ that's for all of us that we can cry out to God Abba Father Jesus gave us that privilege and when he talks about sons it obviously includes daughters it's the sonship so he's, God has redeemed us from death, from self, from the devil and sin, and he's given us much more. We're now free. We are free from sin, not free to sin. Romans 6.22, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life are free to follow that which is good now we couldn't do that before John 8 31 and 32 then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free this is critical the only freedom for any human being on this planet is in truth the only freedom is in truth. It's only completely found in Jesus Christ. And also, it's what the enemy, the devil, is opposed to and works to deceive us, hence his name, the father of lies. So that which is lying is opposite. It's only truth. Within truth, seeking and hungering for truth, and abiding in truth, there is freedom. Jesus is truth. His word is is truth so if we have that in Christ what does Christ ask for us a Jesus Christ made you free to serve him and not your sin a believer who is bound by son is not free to serve God and a believer who is bound by God is not free to sin Romans six, twelve, and 13 again Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Romans 8, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh. Might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, the last part Jesus Christ did that for us that we could walk in the Spirit. He didn't do it so that we could continue to walk in the flesh, only in the power of the Spirit. And the more in the Spirit, the more we're walking in Christ. B, Jesus Christ made you free to serve Him without having to keep the laws of the Old Testament or any other religious or legalistic regulations. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 to 26. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So the law was our instructor. It helped us. We've now graduated through Christ Jesus. We're no longer in school there. We're no longer babes. We can walk in the freedom of the Spirit through the power of Christ, through His grace. See, Jesus Christ made you free to cross over cultural and economic barriers to see people come to faith in Christ. I love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19-22 For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under law, as under the law, then I might win those under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. What's Paul talking about? Is that he surrendered his will and his desires to meet people of where they are at their moment. Okay, not to sin, not to be legalistic, not to be bound by it, but to see them as they are, to meet them at their point of need. Because what's their need? What's all of our need? Our need is Jesus. Yeah. Truth, Jesus. It's the same. That's what our need is. And so when you see people at their point of need, you meet them where they are, God will give you the opportunity as you're praying and walking in the Spirit to meet them at their need. And that's what he's calling us to do. Wherever that is. Wherever that is. All over that is. Okay? And so sometimes the latest thing in church thing is affinity based church we tend to and that's what's happening we become very tribal we think we should be together with everybody that we kind of like that we do the things that we want to do that's not the kingdom of god that's not the kingdom of god the kingdom of god is us meeting people that we really don't have a lot in common except jesus christ god show that to me when when i first came to faith in 1995 how Bill, who I've gone to India the last couple of times, got together. We've prayed now. We may even do some prison ministry together. Just, he's, you know, he works at a factory job. He's an evangelist by heart. He, every year, at least two or three people come to the Lord through um, his sharing the faith, and he disciples them. He discipled me. We'd spend time, and, you know, I came from a very new age background and I had a lot of questions. And he answered everything biblically and appropriately, trusting in God. And, you know, he's a mechanic also. He does great transmission. He likes to go hunt and fish and, you know, four-wheeling. None of the things that I like. None of the things that I like, okay? But I like Jesus, and he loves Jesus, and we have a common ground together, and we fellowship together because of Jesus. And that's what God wants us to do in the body of Christ is to have people of all different various backgrounds from different whether you know you use Scythian or slave, it doesn't matter that we're under the banner of Christ and we're all one. That's why we can even if we don't understand their language, when I had the privilege to go to Romania and they're singing hymns, hymns that I'm familiar with, but not in Romanian. And get to hear them sing and then worship the Lord. And when I'm in Africa to get to do the same and I'm in India I when had a chance to go to Israel and somewhere singing in you know, Guatemalan Spanish as well as Mexican Spanish and then in Hindi and you know in Hebrew and we're all praising the Lord. That's what it really means to be one in the body of Christ. Okay. That's what true liberty is. So also we do have liberty to make our own choices. So, before we were bound to sin, bound that we really could only—we really didn't have free will. All you could do was indulge the flesh. All you could do was whatever the flesh desired you do. You think that you're free to do it, but you're not. You're just driven by the desires of the flesh. It's automatic. It's impulsive. It's that thing that still drives me to go. Oh, I want that. Okay, I'll get that. Oh, I want to experience that. Okay, I'll do that. And it's like, it grabs us as a hook and pulls us wherever it wants to take us. But now we have true liberty go, yeah, I know, yeah, I do want that, but that's okay. Just because I want that doesn't mean I need to get it. What does God want in that? What's the better way? So, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we have that liberty in Christ. So, A, you're free to choose to do what is right, not what you want. Your liberty should cause you to obey God, to choose to obey God. Romans 6:17 to23 But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. But just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit did you have in those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. For now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. And this famous line that we always quote, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we always quote that last verse of 623, but 623, 17 to 22 sets that all up. It talks that everything that we did, all the fruit, all that works that we did of the flesh had no spiritual value, only led to death, only led to our condemnation, put us further in bondage. And even the good works that we did, the charity we did, the help that we did, was still in service to self and the flesh. But in Christ Jesus, we're now set free to do it out of the power of the Spirit. And the more we walk to the Spirit instead of that, because we can still walk in the flesh doing those same things we did before, thinking that they are good when they're not really what the Lord wants. But we're free to do that in that obedience. And that second part of that freedom is, as we mentioned, that liberty does not give us permission to feed our sinful flesh. That's called licentiousness or Libertarianism, which means, hey, now that I'm free in Christ, God's grace covers everything. I can do what I want. You know, Galatians five thirteen says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But I love what it says here. But through love serve one another. What's the antidote? It says here, what's the antidote to serving the flesh? Serve one another. Yeah. When we're caught up, when we're wrestling with our own sin, when we're struggling and trying to, our flesh is trying to rear itself up, we want to do something that the flesh wants to indulge, the antidote is, look to the need of somebody else. Yes, praise the Lord. Yes, strive after him. Look to the need, mercy somebody else. So maybe when you're struggling more, it's because we're not serving enough. We're not being a blesser. We're still living mostly for self. Something to think about for us. So our liberty also unf- allows us to reap the consequences of our choices, whether they be good or bad. Galatians 6, 7, 9, 7 to 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So God makes it abundantly clear that we have a choice even afterwards to either put ourselves back in bondage to reap things of the flesh, which reaps corruption, which eats away at our soul and our spirit, which takes us away from an intimate and close fellowship with God, or reap the spirit, which draws us close to him, where you, where you can praise and worship him, where you can feel his goodness in you, and you're abiding in the vine and seeing the fruits of that in others. When you see in others, sometimes I can't always see the goodness in my life with the Lord, but I see his goodness in others. And I can be grateful. I can be grateful for the goodness he's done in other people's life. Not of jealousy, but of goodness of how God, God is. And they will say the same. So, the other part of freedom is we're free to choose to live your life according to the freedom that is found in the truth of God's word. James 1, to 25. 22 to 25. will be blessed in what he does. So, we're called to be, like I said, doers. Challenge for us in the American church is we're educated far beyond our level of obedience. We have so many Bibles. Who has more than one Bible in their house? Okay, we have so many Bibles. We have so many access. How many of us have audio versions of the Bible, either on a phone or another version? Yeah, we have so many ways of having the word we have so many ways that we can have it, and yet we don't do all that it says. So I love what it says here and see what our freedom is. We are free to choose to live our lives to the glory of God. Second Timothy verses 2, or sorry, chapter 2, verses 20 to 21. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. What does it mean to cleanse yourself from dishonor? How do we clean ourselves? We have to repent. We have to ask Christ... He is the one who cleans us. He's always the one who cleans us. It's not something that we can do in our own strength, but he does call us to repent. We have to forsake, put off the old man, and choose to submit, to trust God. When we're willing to do that, God will cleanse us. And the more we do that, the more cleaning he does, and the more worthy vessel we become for his purpose and his plan. That's what the sanctification process is. That's what God calls us in life. So one of the things about liberty is it will start to affect people around us, okay? What does it mean? One, we're not to judge others who have different convictions than you. I invite you to look. This whole thing, if you look through the 14th chapter of Romans, you'll see a lot. And I'm not going to go through every verse. I've gone gone through many. Um, But the first um, seven verses of, of Romans, as well as going from... Thirteen through seventeen, it shows that be you know we're supposed to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ at all times, and our life will be examined by others. I love. I'm going to quote this one: Romans fourteen seven, for none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. The other part, number three, were to avoid anything that could cause weaker Christians to stumble in their faith. Be sensitive to their spiritual needs. So some of us may have some freedom to do certain things. We can eat certain foods. We can worship certain days, take certain days of rest. Others may not see it the same way. So just because I have that freedom to do that because I see that in Christ, but somebody else has a real problem with that, then we need to be discerning to what their needs is. We need to be willing to curtail that liberty, that freedom for the sake of others so they don't stumble. Um... Our liberty can appear wrong, even if it's not. So we must guard ourselves against the appearance of wrongdoing. This is really important. Okay, I, you know, um, Lauren and I have watched a movie that I like called Old Fashioned. And the guy in there, you know, he has a relationship with Jesus and he refuses to enter into a house that a single woman is in. He just won't do that. You know, I. I try to, you know, not to be alone with a woman. Won't do a, a counseling or anything like that. Or I need to have somebody else present, and that's really important. That we guard ourselves, not that we did wrong, and we may, our intentions may be entirely noble, noble and pure, but it can be misconstrued. It can be misinterpreted. So we have to be on guard for that. Number four, our liberty. Sorry, number five, our. Um, God gave you liberty as a way to lead others to salvation in Jesus Christ. So your testimony for Jesus is more important than your personal desires. Wow. Our testimony for Jesus is more important than our personal desires. We may desire certain things. I can do this. I can go do that. But if it looks like it causes a stumbling block for others, what are we doing to curtail that? That's a hard one for me. It's a hard one for me because I'm not always aware of what other people are thinking. I don't know, oh, they have a problem with that. Unless they tell me, or it's pretty obvious that they're looking at me kind of funny, I don't always know that they're being troubled by it. Okay? But that takes discernment to see. That means, okay, I'm doing something, let me look around and see. Okay, how are they responding? Are they comfortable? Are they uncomfortable? What's going on? Is it bringing them to Christ, or is it taking them away from that? Are they starting to question, is he really a Christian? He's doing that. Can he do that as a Christian? I don't know if he can do that. You have to really watch that and be sensitive to that for the needs of others. So that leads me to the part, what are the boundaries of our liberty? We have liberty in Christ. We're free now in Christ. What are some of the things, some of the principles that we should go by? First, am am I allowing myself to be brought under the power of something that should not be controlling my life? This is really important. Am I getting involved in something that God clearly doesn't want us to dominate my life? We can have, you know, we talk about idolatry. Are there other things that we're becoming obsessed about? My personal struggle is, okay, I'm working. I have responsibility my work, and I'm short-staffed, so I've called to work extra, working more than I want to, coming off a crazy long shift. God has given me strength to get through that, but I'm like, okay... This is not something I need to be sustaining or continuing with. I don't need to do that. We have to make some choices in that freedom. Even though I can work, even though I'm trying to do the right thing to be a blessing for others, is this really what the Lord wants? These are things we have to grapple with. Some of this, I don't know my own strength, even my own prayer time. My own feelings, my own desires, my own sense of obligation can muddle that for me. What do we need to do? Seek counsel. Talk with our spiritual authority, talk with those around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they get a sense. They sometimes can sense things within our spirit to see, oh yeah, that's not good for you. It's taking away your walk with Jesus. It's taking away your testimony. So those are the things that we really have to look at. Uh, I invite you to look at 1 Corinthians 6:12 for more on that. And the next one is, does what I am allowing in my life draw me to God? Or does it distract me from him? More to what I just said before. Is what I'm doing, I mean, we work, right? We all have jobs to do. Most of us have jobs to do. Do my jobs draw me closer to Christ or away? Have I even really thought about that way? Am I thinking my job? That's my work. So, you know, I just do that to earn money so then I can serve God here. That is not the way the Lord wants it at all. All of it is under supposed to be under Christ. That means the work that I do needs to be under Christ. You know, I talked with a friend um, a couple of nights ago, and, you know, he asked me a question, are you praying before you see people? And to be honest, sometimes I do. Sometimes when I get really busy, I don't. So that's a challenge. Am I submitting everything? Am I spending the moment to go, God, help me? Even a simple thing. Do I have enough time to say, God, please help me? Help me to be a blessing yeah, that takes like all of two seconds. Yeah, I could easily do that. So there's an opportunity to submit everything under Christ and so that it doesn't become a distraction. Um, Am I allowing myself to be brought under the power of something? Oh, sorry, sorry. Is is God going to be glorified by this? So that's a question we have to ask. In everything we do, is God going to be glorified this? And what am I? Is what am I doing going to offend anyone by doing this? Would this decision co- be give cause for a lost person, for a lost person to reject Jesus as Savior? Wow. Would this decision, the choice that I make, cause somebody not to become Christian? Not to. Ooh, I don't want to become that. There. That was a struggle that I had. When I saw fighting and arguing in a church or between different people and how they treated a pastor friend of mine, it's like, Oh, I don't want to be a Christian. When you see that, others people see our behavior. Would this decision cause other believers to stumble in faith? We talked about that earlier. So some people may feel, I have freedom to drink a beer or have a glass of wine. That's a common one. I can do that and but some people are like very clear you know you can't be, you know, do not be drunk on wine you cannot drink in front of others that's a similar faith others may think okay we can have a big potluck and eat whatever food that we want and that's okay god is good others go okay that shows indulgence of the flesh and gluttony that's probably not a good thing now one side is pretty easy if you go yeah i won't drink that's wrong but yes i'll have dessert that's okay Um, certainly consequences of things are different some things are a little bit different so those things that we have to look at how do we decide what we do some have I can eat meat others like oh I can't eat meat there are things that we make uh, when you're on vegans eating meat can be a stumbling block for them we think well that's our freedom in Christ Peter got to eat meat I can eat meat you have to watch what is our motivation I love what it says here Am I having doubts about this decision because my conscience is condemning me? The Holy Spirit will speak to us and let us know. So, listen. Listen to what God has. Is this something I feel that I have to keep hidden or do in secret? That's a big warning. If it's something you have to do in secret because you can't tell anybody, like you're going to your room to watch videos that you shouldn't be watching or doing something you shouldn't be doing, and you don't want to tell people about that, or you tell them after the fact, asking for forgiveness instead of permission, you know, that's a big warning sign, and something to watch out for. Would I be ashamed if the Lord returned while I was doing this? Wow. If I'm in the midst of that, that's the question. If God's going to come back and we won't know that time, is that what I want to be doing when Jesus shows up? How many of us even think about that? Until I read that, I thought about that. I thought, well, I, I, I certainly don't. Is this an attempt to see how close to sin I can get without crossing the line? I'm not doing that bad. It's only a little bit. It's not like really bad. The Bible doesn't say anything explicitly about this. So it's not that big of a deal. It's just a little bit. That's not the goal that God wants us to. He wants us to strive ever closer towards him. What is good and right about this thing that I would allow in my life? You're looking at Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellence or praiseworthy, think about such things. So that's the things that God calls us to. I love Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In Matthew twenty twenty-five to 28, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you let him be your servant and whoever desires to be first among you let him be your slave just as the son of man did come to be ser- did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so ultimately in all this jesus is asking us to be like him he's called us to be like him so look at this paradox in christ we are free We have true liberty, free from sin, free from self, free from the devil, free from flesh, free. And yet in Christ, he calls us to bind to him, to submit and become a bondservant, to become a slave in a sense, a slave to what? A slave to righteousness. So we are free, and as Christ did, as his example, in his freedom, he surrendered that. That's what he's calling us to do. So you were given free. You have now the freedom to choose, and I want you to choose. Here, my life is yours. I'm going to choose to be a bond servant. So I love this by Kurt Shacklett. He talks about traits of a bond servant. A bond servant of Christ is emptied of self, and walks in deep humility before the Lord, faithfully obeying him to the point of suffering, hardship, humiliation, and even death if required. A bondservant of Christ has a deep and genuine concern for the welfare of others. A bondservant of Christ seeks to encourage, comfort, and strengthen others. A bondservant of Christ strives strives to do the will of his master and please him only and has abandoned seeking after the praise of men. A bondservant of Christ does not promote or exalt self but promotes and exalts Christ as Lord of all and views self as a bondslave of others to fulfill the call of Christ. A bondsuit of Christ is not quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, gently correcting those who are in opposition. A bondsuit of Christ sees his or her life of service as a grateful, Beautiful and loving response to God, and not something with which he or she expects to be thanked by his master, but rather reward for his or her faith, or rather reward it for his or her faithfulness. So look at Philippians one one. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. James 1 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Second Peter 1 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jude 1 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. So this appears to be a paradox, as I said earlier, but it's not. We're free in Christ and from sin itself. We're free in the liberty of Christ to walk in righteousness. The only way to walk in righteousness is to be like Christ. The process of sanctification is to put off the old and put on the new. This is one of Gary's favorite sayings in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So God wants us to trust in him to be willing to walk in freedom from sin to be a blessing to others. In a way, we're a a slave just as those before us, as Paul was, as Timothy was, as James was, as Peter was, as Jude was, as all the disciples were, of all those who have martyred and lived their lives before us, willing to trust in God completely. We have so many distractions, so many things that keep us away from him. I pray as this time is drawing nigh that we were willing to surrender that which we want for something that is greater, trusting in his goodness, believing that surrendering our life for him and being a blessing of others will give him the maximum glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help, Lord. Father, I just pray, Lord, that uh, we realize what you've given us and who you are, what you want for us, but you've asked of us. And so I don't know where the hearts are of each of us, Lord, but you do. You know the frame, every frame, everybody, Father, and I pray that you will have your way in each of us, that you will get every bit of the glory you deserve, that you will do whatever is necessary to crush us of our rebellion, to humble us of our pride, to bring us into your loving arms in your grace and mercy, to walk as you walk, Jesus, to choose to be yours no matter what. You deserve it all. In your name we pray. Amen.